After a couple of weeks of working back at home, Loren McNabb was back in the building today, so that was a pleasure to see her. And it was also a pleasure just to see Fortier show up at all. In a moment, you're going to hear he had quite an adventure on his way into work. After an NHL player may have missed a game due to the death of his dog, we had a big conversation today about should we get time off of work because of the loss of a pet? Small town salute. We headed to East St. Paul, where Greg Mackling emceed the opening ceremonies on Wednesday for the Scotties. And there's a research group that's looking for dairy dreamers, people to eat cheese and then track their dreams to see if the cheese gives them nightmares. So that got us talking about your wild and wacky dreams. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, January 26th podcast for the start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And we say, welcome back to the building, Loren McNabb. How are you feeling? I have no idea what I'm doing. I miss my tiny laptop. There's three screens in here, buttons. It's only been like 10 days. I came in here and I brought Cam in to verify that this keyboard's the worst ever. He's like, oh, you don't need help with something technical? And I was like, no, just sit down and tell me this keyboard's stupid. And he agreed. <laughs> That's it. That's where I'm at. I feel... <coughs> Sorry. <clears throat> I feel fine-ish. That's why you're in the tomb That's today. Why I'm you're in the tomb. St- you're still coughing yeah. today. And and how dare you disparage my keyboard? It's the ki- okay. So this keyboard's really small and thin, <laughs> and I'm sure it's supposed to be better for you, but it doesn't have enough. Like, can you hear me typing? I want to have punch. <laughs> you like that tat? You want something more tactile? As soon as I sat down, I thought, ew. Yeah. And I wasted five minutes of Cam's time. <laughs> No, you're right, though. The, a good keyboard or a satisfying keyboard can improve uh, the, the overall experience. And you're right. I, I didn't like that keyboard either, Loren. Thank you. Okay, well. I, I don't really like it either, but I've <laughs> taken ownership of it because I've been working with it for the better part of the last two years. And so I've become used to it. But I do like the tr- more traditional keyboard with the bigger keys that you can actually pull off and you can exchange the M and the M to mess around with people and that sort of stuff. You can't do that. It's also how you know your coworker's having a bad day. Have you ever noticed that? (laughs) You can just hear someone behind you just hammering that keyboard and you're like, "Uh uh-oh. Well, that was always tough. Mackling is coming. Did the Jets lose? (laughs) Like, what's happening here? (laughs) Kelly Moore uh, may be the uh, loudest typist of all time, (laughs) at least since Jeff Courier has left us. Jeff and Kelly had uh, the loudest... uh, typing uh, techniques of, of, of all. Well, because Kelly's, uh, what do they call it? Is it Peck and Hunt? Is that the, oh, yeah, the, he's the, using his uh, hunt index peck. fingers. Hunts for the, the key and then he pecks it. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, good to have you back in the building, Loren. <laughs> that was a two-minute derail. <laughs> that's, hey, that's perfect. It's a nice way to ease into it because <laughs> our producer, Jeff Forte, has had, had a bit of an adventurous morning. You know, yesterday we talked about running out of gas and listener Reese told us that uh, 10 years ago he was trying to fly out to B.C. to see his family for Christmas. His cab ran out of gas. He missed his flight, so he didn't make it until the next day. So, Fortier, your cab did not run out of gas, but something happened this morning. Oh, something happened, all right. I was uh, going over the Disraeli Bridge. Before the Disraeli Bridge, I live on Henderson Highway. And just before the Disraeli Bridge, I could feel the cab, you know, shaking. It was... And we get onto the Disraeli, and it's getting worse and worse. And we go over the first hump, 
And as we're just about to go over the second hump, kaplunk, we lost a tire. Oh man! So a traffic tip: uh, southbound Israeli, <laughs> just about to hit hit the second bump there. Uh, there should be a taxi there with the front tire. It's bent, like it's not totally off. It's kind of bent. Oh my! And so they had to call me another cab, and uh, so I jumped in the second cab and got here just in time. Didn't almost didn't have Jeff Forche this morning. We all, almost made a straight up one for one swap. McNabb for Forche. <laughs> no draft choices, no future considerations, just straight up uh, one for one. But Cam Poitras, tip our hat to Cam Poitras this morning. He was ready to jump in, fill the void in the uh, technical producer's chair this morning. Yeah, so thank you for that, Cam, because uh, while I technically can do it, um, it's been well over a year, I think, since I've been in that room as a as an operator producer, and I'd probably just screw everything up. So glad you're here for it, Jay. That is scary with the the tires. Uh, like how? Yeah, how violent was that? Well, how? What's the? Because when you swap out your tires, you're supposed to go back at some point to get them to tighten it, right? After a hundred or two hundred kilometers, yeah. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, because that happened to me when I uh, like just tighten the lug nuts. Yeah, yeah. After you've had your, you know, your winter. Can't you just do that yourself at home? Well, I'm sure your technician does it on your behalf, Lorenda. Like uh, without you, does without do you knowing, I'm sure it happens magically. Just like the tires get on the vehicle, I can magically. tighten a lug nut, though. I mean, that's what I'm asking. Is it more than just pulling out that? I don't know what that tool's called. It's in the, my back seat <laughs> actually right now for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I don't even. I don't know if I even have something I could do that with. I'm not sure if I have a tool well, like that in my you, car. Well, if you have the tools to change a flat tire and put your spare on, yeah, you have then, it. Then, then you have yeah, it. Yeah, I would. Okay. Yeah. I haven't, I've never had to do it on this car. so Isn't it attached to the jack? Like when you jack up the car, isn't there the tool that's like attached to the jack or something yeah, like that? Yeah, some of them are. Like the okay. lug wrench or whatever. Yeah. The lug wrench. Exactly. McNabb. Okay. Well done. Yeah. So that, that's good. That's actually a good reminder because I should probably do that at some point because yeah, uh, it's been too. a few hundred kilometers since I had my tires swapped. And today we are going to be talking at six forty-five uh, about something interesting, Loren, that you heard on was it on the shift? Shane Hewitt talking about this? Yeah. So I was driving in this morning, and they were talking about the fact that there's this. There, Things are getting tested all over the world. Taste tests, market tests for different products. And they were talking about the idea that they're looking into what foods cause dreams. And so they're asking people to test cheese, like to eat a bunch of cheese and go to bed. And then let us know if you've had any sort of weird experiences in your dreams that night. You know, there there are people who will talk about... Meat sweats. Have you ever heard that? You have too much oh, yeah. meat. You sort of wake up all hot and sweaty in the middle of the night from just working through that meat. Well, there's clearly a theory that cheese, I, I don't know, gives us scary dreams. That's interesting. I'll have to test that myself. I, I do like cheese. Uh, and I often will have vivid dreams, so maybe there's a relation to that. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, do you remember your dreams? Do you, go, do, you like, do you try and remember your dreams? Do you, do you make a point of waking up and trying to recap and think, oh, boy. Yeah, quite often. If it, if it's weird or if it if it was like uh, not scary, I really have like scary dreams, but scary in the sense like where did that come from? Like where in the back of my brain did that come from? How did I create this insanity? There are 
Growing calls for action after a string of attacks on transit services in Toronto, Winnipeg, and other cities across this country. Yeah, and I just don't know if this can be talked about enough because it seems like daily we're hearing different stories either in the news here on CJOB or or across the country about drivers, passengers being assaulted. So there were two more assaults reported to Winnipeg police in the last week. One happened at John Forsyth Road in Ashford Drive Tuesday night. Police say they were called there. Reports of a drunk woman allegedly went on the bus, started yelling, then hitting and assaulting a 15-year-old girl. And then police also shared last week an 18-year-old was standing at a bus stop at Chancellor Drive in Pemina and was threatened with a knife and then robbed of her cell phone and wallet. And of course, we were just talking this week about that father and son, a 10-year-old child who were punched on a bus 8.30 last Thursday on Main Street, Greg. That's just a snapshot of what's been going on in Winnipeg in a matter of days. In Toronto, there are reports a teenage a teenager was stabbed on a bus last night. Yesterday morning, police say two TTC workers were chased by someone with a syringe. And earlier this week, Toronto police say two transit workers were swarmed and assaulted on their way to work. Arrests in that case have been made. Toronto police have now arrested four 13-year-old boys after an alleged assault on two transit employees. That attack, which TTC officials have called a despicable swarming, happened on Monday. According to witnesses, a group of young men got on the bus and allegedly attacked the TTC employees before running off. The boys are now facing assault charges and are scheduled to appear in court in March. Four 13-year-olds in that case. Uh, you add it all up. The president of the Amalgamated Transit Union of Canada is now calling for a national task force. His name is John Danino. He says violent attacks on public transit have reached crisis levels. Earlier this week, we had Chris Scott, who's the president of the local union on here. And he basically said, Greg, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he used the word, if it's not a crisis, it's pretty darn close, was essentially what he was saying. And, and we learned of more assaults this week. Chris Scott saying in a statement that on Tuesday night, a bus driver had snowballs thrown at them by two teens in Winnipeg. Food was thrown at a driver by six youths. And then there was a bus driver who was struck by a female passenger who reached around the shield and hit this operator. And so that driver then had to escape through the driver's window. And so the union here is backing up those calls for a national task force. Needed? How bad? Does calling it a crisis, whatever you call it, make a difference? Uh, that tagline. I know some people will say we like to go to that too quickly and use that terminology. But when you're seeing what you're seeing, not just in Winnipeg, not just in Toronto, but right across the country, uh, I think the first question is what on earth is going on here and how do we solve it? What's at the core of this? What's at the heart of it? And, And Brett... I used to take the bus all the time as a kid. I, I've, I think I've shared this story of, of riding the bus carrying record albums, a big stack of them from the West End to the Redwood Bridge and Maine to go to a friend's place and then coming home at 1130 at night, transferring at Portage and, and Colony back in the day without any hesitation. I don't let my kids take the bus in the middle of the day. Yeah. I don't even want to take the bus in the middle of the day. Right yeah. now, yeah, I, mean, I used to take the bus every every day uh, from teenager all the way into my uh, either late twenties or early thirties. When I worked uh, downtown, I would just take the bus rather than and take my car. And rarely did I feel uncomfortable. Um, occasionally, I'd be I'd kind of be vigilant, you know, depending on what time of night I was and, and how many people. Because 
based on the bus stop where I would catch it. It would be this kind of quiet, dark spot of downtown. So I'd be vigilant. But other than that, I was never concerned that I was going to be attacked. Or I don't think I've ever seen. Maybe once I saw a slight altercation on a bus, but that's it. When I hear all of these stories, I just think, like, what the heck is happening right now? Not just in Winnipeg, but everywhere else. There's the violence. That's one thing. And then you have to start to wonder about the workers themselves. Are Is there some sort of concerted effort to target them? You talk about being chased with syringes in Toronto. The two workers who were assaulted and swarmed on the bus, they'd be wearing uniforms. You'd know who you were dealing with. The the workers who are talking about being punched around the shield, having food thrown at them. Like there's a level of violence. And then there's just that disrespect of chucking snowballs and food. And you might say, okay, that's not assault. But I, I don't know. Where's the line when it starts to make you feel like someone's coming at you specifically for the job you do? Yeah, and that's and that's where it gets dicey, gets frightening for me. When you th- think about that one story about the the TTC workers, and, and based on the different stories I've read on it, it, it's clear to me that they were in uniform and they were on their way to work. And whoever attacked them knew who they worked for and 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 maybe not knew who they were personally but knew quote unquote who they were and that's and that's bothersome because when kids when anybody is attacking assaulting someone that we associate with uh authority to a certain extent that's why police get very nervous when one of their own is attacked when one of their own is murdered it's not about vengeance it's about if someone is willing to do that to someone with a badge someone with a with a with an, a uniform uh, there's something extra especially wrong here and so they get nervous about those things i can't help but think back to riding the bus in brandon back in grade four grade five by myself and you didn't dare get on that bus with a drink with a bag of chips if your Walkman was too loud, I can remember the operator asking you to turn it down. They had signs, you can't play your radio. All these different rules that at the time felt sort of archaic and, and side of, oh, gee whiz, that, that seems pretty strict. And now you can't even get passengers to pay their fare. Like uh, the change in the respect for the function of, of transit has just gone down the tubes apparently. Here's the headline. You can get paid $1,000 to eat cheese before bed. Organization known as Sleep Junkie is looking for five American testers to become dairy dreamers to eat many different types of cheese every week and then record their dreams and nightmares because they believe there may be a connection between cheese and your nightly brain activity. So that got us talking about dreams. So we want you to join this conversation at 204-780-6868. Ever had a dream that you were positive, was real, like a dream that stuck with you or affected you? And if, Or if you can't think of a specific dream, is there something you know that affects your dreams? Like, for example, when I was uh, using a nicotine patch to try to quit smoking, I had the most crazy, vivid dreams every single night. Not necessarily bad dreams, just like super intense. You're nodding your head, Mackling? Yes. Uh, when I went on antidepressants about 20 years ago, it seemed to unleash just these vividest of most codic. Kodachrome? 
colored dreams and and wild and crazy, not scary like you say, but super vivid, super intense. And I know when my uh, late grandmother was on the patch, when she uh, quit smoking, she wore it to bed at night and she complained about the same thing. I said, Nan, do you smoke in the middle of the night? Do you smoke while you're sleeping? No, maybe take the patch off at night. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you don't need the nicotine while you're sleeping. Yeah, I uh, well, I think I, I think you're supposed to leave it on all the time. But I, I I've heard people complain about it. I enjoyed it. <laughs> it was like okay, <laughs> okay. I, like you like the dreams? Yeah, I was like, what am I? What am I going to come up with tonight? <laughs> it was like that movie Flatliners, where you had the you wanted to be put <laughs> under so that you could <laughs> uncover more secrets of your past. Flatliners. Wow, there's a, a solid pull from 1992 or well something. Well done, well done. So let's go around the horn here. Uh, Jeff Braun, why don't we start with you, sir? I, I'm one of these guys that wakes up and you feel the effects of the dream. You're, you're happy, you're upset, or you're scared or whatever. But by the time I get to the kitchen and get a glass of water, I've totally forgot what the dream was about. I do know, though, and I think maybe I should be a candidate for this study. Uh, I love cheese, but I, if I have pizza... After, say, 7 o'clock at night, I have crazy dreams. I thought it was maybe the spicy sauce or something like that, but maybe it's the cheese. I don't know. I also find if I have, like, more than one beer after 7 o'clock, then I have crazy dreams as well. So, yeah, it's a restless night. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there is, and there is some science with that. Uh, and why do, why do we forget our dreams? Like, I, sometimes I'll wake up and have an intense dream, and I actually have to sit down and focus on it to make sure that it doesn't escape my brain within seconds. Yeah, apparently there's a way for you to train your brain to mm-hmm. remember your dreams. And they say to put a, a note, like if you want to remember them, put a notepad next to your um, bed and a pen so that when you wake up and you get in your habit of writing them down and then you'll remember them if that's something that you, you want to do. Loren, what about you? I was reading actually this morning that there was a study in Britain about blue cheese and blue cheese is the one you should never eat before bed because it kind of makes you go crazy. But I don't know if there's food that makes me dream more, but I regularly have had the dream where my teeth are falling out. Have you guys ever had that? And you're spitting, yeah. you're spitting your own teeth into your hand. All the time. Yeah. It's I get all that the time, one all the time. Yeah. To the point where I do get up and actually look in the mirror. Like I, sometimes I've checked, like I wake up and I'm touching my mouth or I'll just double check in the mirror. Like, yep, we still got all your teeth. I'll even do like a little tooth check because it, I can, I can taste the, like, you know, the bit of blood and I can feel myself spitting. Like I can feel, my hand feels wet. Like I've spit the teeth onto my hand. Enjoy your breakfast, Winnipeg. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Apparently yeah. that's just a sign. I'm super stressed, I think. Wow, that's fascinating. And the, the fact that you both, yeah. you and you, Cam. Yeah, my, I, my I, teeth I, will like crumble in my mouth and I'll be picking up, I'll be picking out like bits and pieces yes. of my teeth. That's what happens. Like they're me, crumbly. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. The whole mouth just collapses. Yeah. <laughs> or ha- have you have you ever in your dream, like yeah, you hit your shin or something like that and you wake up and you're like, oh, my shin, like it actually hurts. And well, you, you probably why. did hit it then. <laughs> yeah. Hit yeah. it in your sleep or something. Kicked yourself or... Or what have you. I've got these reoccurring, like a reoccurring cast of characters in my dreams. And they're not from my real life. They only live inside my head. And it's kind of wild because I'll be running through a scenario and I'm having these interactions like I'm in a house or something. It's like, oh, yeah, this is the house from five years ago. 
that was in my dream. And that's the only place these things live. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's bothersome uh, to me. I heard one time that you can't invent faces. In, and I don't know if this is true. This, is, this might be total BS. But, like, you can't invent faces in your dream. It's always somebody that you've seen before. And if you don't recognize them, it's somebody that maybe you were walking by. And you've, like, locked their head into oh, your that's brain. Interesting. And then they then show themselves in your in your dreams and, like, your subconscious. But you don't invent faces. I, I, I read that or I saw that or something. Okay. I don't know if that's heard true that or too, not. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to look into that. And what about this idea, like, if you die in your dream... Like you're you're dead. Well, I've 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 hit the ground. Like they say, you always wake up for. I've lied on the ground and like been like I don't know, like my body mangled in, in a dream before, and then I wake up at that point. But I've hit the ground before. I've been wow, shot really? and, the, yeah. and the warm blood yeah. on my chest, yeah. and then and then I wake up. Feel oh the life. God. Feel the life oh, yeah. get sucked out of me. I drowned yeah. just two weeks ago with a, some neo citron that I took before bed, and and woke up like gasping, like clawing at the air because I thought I was being held underwater. Wow. <laughs> It was you, Cam, and wow. you were spitting your teeth on me. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm kidding. <laughs> Forte, what about you? Actually, I told Bron this earlier this week. Uh, do you guys ever have a dream, and you're dreaming, and you're making food, and you're just about to eat it, but then you wake up, and you're just super disappointed? <laughs> <laughs> I had one of those dreams earlier this week that I had taquitos right in front of me, just a stack of taquitos. <laughs> I was so hungry, and I, I took a melatonin before bed, and usually I only have half one, but this time I took a full one, which really gets my dreams going, and so I had a dream that there were these taquitos in front of me, and right before I was put to stick to my mouth, I woke up. I When I woke up, I was drooling. I drool all <laughs> over my face, and I was like, no, this is not going to happen. I got out of bed. I made three taquitos. <laughs> <laughs> and went back to bed. That's fantastic. What oh, time boy. of night was it? It was 1230. 12.30 in the morning. I was just going to ask, oh, no. And then the worst thing would be if you wake up and you don't have taquitos to make or, like, the ingredients. Because now you're just stuck at midnight. Well, starving. now you're just angry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Terrific. Um, Susan texting us saying that her daughter, my daughter did a science fair project about food and dreams when she was in middle school. She and a friend had their classmates eat certain food, which the two of them pre-packed. Dill pickles, spicy Doritos, and popcorn. The classmates ate one pack each night before bed and wrote about their dreams in the morning. When all tallied up, the spicy Doritos caused the most vivid dreams, followed by the pickles, and uh, no big changes with the popcorn. So, again, maybe it's the cheese and the Doritos. That is really, really interesting. It could be the spice. If you Google the foods that cause bad dreams, spice is one of them. Cheese is the top of the list again of this article I'm reading. And, of course, alcohol. Yeah. What does it say? You said blue cheese was the worst for this? Well, I'm going to have to go back and find that. But um, there was a study that came out that talked about blue cheese causing weird dreams. Now, there was no evidence. Like, there was no science. It's just all anecdotal stuff, right? So people just pick that as the one that caused the most problems, but there's no science connecting it. It's just people saying that. I guess the science would be the overwhelming number of people who say it causes problems. I hate blue cheese. So. Here's the question. Here's the question to ponder over the news. If you could get RCA jacks implanted in your head in the back of your neck 
and plug them in at night and they would record your dreams and you could rewatch them in the morning the next day they'd be saved on your PVR would you want to no, watch them again you, you would you would think you're so crazy because there's so many things that happen in a dream that like just because you're dreaming you don't realize it like a guy's like I was having a dream just recently and like the I was watching the bombers and they were wearing um, old timey helmets uh, but the helmets were like made of new modern helmet material and then I turned over and I was in a grocery store and then I went <laughs> over to the side and I was walking down the street and it's like just because you were in a dream you didn't realize how crazy the whole situation was I think you'd think you were nuts if there's a reason why you don't remember them in great detail when you wake up they're not telling you anything I don't think the bombers like- lost that game too. <laughs> how dare they see why would you want to remember that yeah If you've ever lost a pet, then you know how hard it can be to cope with that loss. Years ago, your, your boss might have just told you to suck it up, power through it, no big deal. But that kind of reaction is changing. Yeah, so over the weekend, social media was buzzing with the possibility that Ethan Bear of the Vancouver Canucks had missed Saturday's game to deal with the death of his dog. So the Canucks would only say Bear was away for personal reasons. He himself hasn't confirmed it. But the night before that game, his fiance posted about the loss of their dog, Bronco. Writing in a post, he traveled all over following Ethan's career and taking care of me and his flower girl while his dad was on the road. Hold your fur babies close tonight. They are the biggest blessing. So six days after they lost the dog, their baby girl came into the world. A lot was going on in this household. But as you can imagine, just the possibility that he was out of the lineup because of the death of a pet had all sorts of people reacting. Some were surprised, some were critical, and others reacted more like this, like someone who tweeted, Ethan Bear just became one of my favorite players. Pets are our companions, are a huge part of our lives. They leave huge absences. Yeah, there's lots of conversations to have about this, but we want to bring in uh, the Humane Society that actually offer bereavement counseling over the loss of a pet. Jessica Miller is the CEO of the Humane Society and joins us now. Good morning, Jessica. Hi, Greg. That's great to hear your voice. Uh, this <laughs> this is a difficult conversation for a lot of folks because... Our fur babies, as some refer them to them as, do become such an integral part of our lives. They are part of our families. What sort of demand have you seen over the years for counseling and helping people get over the the passing of a pet? Yeah, so, you know, we do have a program to help support, you know, when this happens. And I went through it myself in August with um, one of my long-term pets, but... I'm really glad that this has come to the media and this conversation is happening because the more awareness that we have that, you know, people are people and these animals are family, the more support is needed. So the program that we currently have is called Pet Loss and Grief Telephone Service, and we provide one-on-one counseling um, for people who are going through a rough time. We have four trained volunteers who, who do this work. And last year alone, they spoke to 72 people. Um, for about 53 hours in total of support. And, you know, the people who were calling ranged from in areas all over North America, all across Canada, some in the U.S., Wisconsin, New York. And so it's a, ra- a very real thing that people are looking uh, looking for, you know, which way is up when this happens. And they've been calling us. Have employers changed the way they deal with employees who have lost a pet? You know, I I don't know if employers across the board have, but we have specifically, and it's been pretty recently, we were updating our own 
HR policy manual. And we had always kind of ad hoc allowed people to have time with their pet. But now we have put a specific clause for pet bereavement for two days in our own policy. Um, Obviously, that extends to all kinds of other family members as well. Um, But we feel like, obviously, in the business that we're in, that it's the most progressive and right thing to do as mental health is so important to what we do specifically, but we hope that businesses, you know, across North America and the world are going to be considering doing the same thing. What kind of reaction? I get that the Humane Society might offer that kind of service. You work for pets and you very much Mm -hmm. understand the desire to make sure that you're acknowledging the employee's loss, but there'd be a lot of people out there. And I will admit, Jessica, just a few years ago, I might've been one of them that would have said, Mm -hmm. "Ah, come on. I grew up on a farm and our pets, I love them, but not in the same way that I now love my dog who is now (laughs) sleeping in my bed way more often than I like to admit. (laughs) You know, I think the reaction might be, come on, it's just a dog. It's just a cat. Yeah, you know, it's just not. And I know hearing it from me, um, you know, coming from the Humane Society is different. But, you know, there's like 40, almost 50% of people have animals. They are their companion animal. Sometimes they are the only family that someone has. Um, And so I just don't buy that. I think that, you know, companion animals are family and they need to be treated as such. And if society wants to kind of be on the up and up and, Um, practice what we preach in terms of mental health being important that this needs to be important too. Well, as so many of us do battle with mental health issues and are aware of them and are doing our best to work with them and to work them out, think about who some of our best counselors are, who our best support systems are. It's our doggos. It's our cats. You know, when I walk in the door, my whiskey's there. He's waiting for me. He's jumping up and down. He's asking me how my day is. And if I'm having a really lousy day, I can tell him or I don't have to tell him. I can go sit on the couch and he's there and he's counseling me. He's helping me. He's a, he's a literal shoulder for me to, to cry on. And so I, I think it's interesting now that we've got this cross section now where we're allowing people to acknowledge how important these animals are in our lives. And when we lose them, it's devastating. It is devastating. And the the length of time that they live is just so unfortunate. And so it seems like such a blow, someone that you've lost, you know, so young, even though sometimes they've lived their whole life. But we, I call them therapists in a fursuit. You know, that's what they are to us. And uh, we have a lot of resources that um, you can tap into should this happen to you. And also other ways you can, um, you know, make a donation in memory of your pet. We have a scattering garden so you can spread the precious ashes in our own garden at the Humane Society. So there's a lot of ways that um, we can try to cope and remember our loved ones. And we can definitely help with that. Jessica Miller, CEO of the Humane Society, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Jessica, thank you very much for this. Thank you so much. We're asking you about your dreams. What does Trev say, Loren? Warmer I am, the more active my dreams are. Trev says, my favorite dream of all time happened a number of years ago. I dreamed there was this giant mosquito in my room, so I grabbed a can of Raid, chasing this thing all over the room. I woke up standing on my bed with a can of air freshener in my hand. And wow, the air in the room was so laden with air freshener, I could hardly get back to sleep. (laughs) Acting out your dreams in your sleep. That's something else. And Chrissy, what does Chrissy have to say? 
Not sure if anyone else has washroom anxiety dreams, but I have them and it's always similar. Somewhere like Eaton's or the Bay downtown, even though they don't exist anymore and need to use the washroom and I'm panicking to find it. And when I do, either the toilets are all in the wide open with no privacy or they're all dirty and I'm freaking out over there being no clean toilets to use. Obviously, this triggers me to wake up to go, but man, it makes me panic. I do not like having those dreams, but I'd sure love Jets tickets since my birthday (laughs) is Tuesday. Thanks for letting me share. Have a great day. And that's from Chrissy this morning at 780-6868. My panic dreams do often have me waking up and having to go use the washroom. Yeah. Like if if I'm stressed or trying to get somewhere, I can never seem to get there. And then I wake up and it's like, oh, you just needed to pee. Just got to go. And Daryl, by the way, says years ago, I learned the power of eating craft dinner and reading Harry Potter before bed. They are force <laughs> multipliers. The craziest, wildest supernatural dreams ever. I worked hard to forget about them. LOL. Small town salute. And this week we are heading outside the perimeter by the slightest of margins. In fact, Part of the rural municipality of East St. Paul is inside the perimeter highway. Yeah, except for, you know, there's so many small towns that might be celebrating this week. And so we wanted to acknowledge them and take you to the home of the 2023 Scotties Tournament of Hearts, which, of course, is starting this week through Sunday at the East St. Paul Arena. And the opening ceremonies took place last night. That is the voice of Sarah Bill singing O Canada. She's a grade seven student at Calvin Christian School, Greg. Yeah, Sarah's voice is a dream to tie it into our topic of conversation this morning. Well done, Sarah. I had one of our collective nightmares come to life last night, Brett, as I was introducing the teams during the ceremony. I think our batteries are running out on us here. From the granite, Skip Katie Lukowicz. Third, Lauren Rajal. Second, Michaela Lyburn. Lead McKenna Hadway, fifth, Lexa Sigurdsson, and coach, I knew him when I was a kid, as Willie William Liber. Sometimes that's all you can do is yell as as loud as you can in an arena with three or four hundred people. It was a little bit of a challenge, but we got the tech back in short order thanks to a representative or responsive pair of volunteers. From Fort Rouge, Skip, Caitlin Laws, third, Selena Negevin, Second, Jocelyn Peterman. Lead, Kristen McCush. And fifth, Jill Officer. From East St. Paul, Skip. Megan Walter. Third, Abby Acklin. Second, Sarah Oliver. Lead, Mackenzie Elias. And coach, Howard Restock. So you just got to go with the flow, McGarry. The teams have to get 
introduced and things are well underway in East St. Paul. The fourth draw goes this morning at 8.30. So, Greg, you spoke to the co-chairs, Debbie Paulson and Kim Link. Here's how that went. This arena, if anybody's been here for hockey, Kim, will not recognize this facility. Talk about what it took to get this facility ready for curling. Well, it's all up to Greg Gowasco and our, our facilities committee, uh, Don Nazarevich and Mike Berlai. They've done a wonderful job. They, they started like at 2 o'clock in the morning on Friday last, like five days ago. And uh, under the direction of Greg, they just worked around the clock and got everything ready. And it looks beautiful. It looks like a National Scotties. It really does. So uh, do yourself a favor, come out and, and see it for yourself if you're a curling fan. Deb, we've mentioned this, I've mentioned this a couple of times now, three of the top 15 women's curling teams on the planet are here. And then there are a couple that are sort of just outside of that group. So it's sort of a lineup that's second to none. Right. I mean, uh, the experience that spectators will be able to enjoy over the next few days is really unlike anything they're going to experience for a long time, believe me. They could go to many national Scotties and not see the depth of talent that they're going to be able to see here at the Manitoba Scotties. And the young teams as well. The future of this game is in very good hands. Would you agree, Kim? It is. Like, I think there's a couple upsets out there today, so it's very exciting. It's, uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how this all finishes on Sunday. So for those, for the uninitiated, if we were coming from Portage in Maine, easiest way to get to the arena here? The easiest way to get to this arena is to head north down Henderson Highway and keep going till you get to Hodnot Road. We are only actually 10 or 12 minutes from Portage in Maine, so we're not far out in the country so come on down and join us so uh, there's a celebration going on here this is our small town salute segment part of the theme here is celebrating manitoba overall so you've got some great pictures some different things in celebration of the province before we let you go kim you've worn the buffalo on your back you've represented our province national championships what does it mean to be from manitoba to you oh it's wonderful when i First, our team first won our senior provincials. In my 50s, it was like there were hugs and tears, and we were just so excited to go to a nationals wearing the buffalo. It's it is amazing, and we have such a strong field always. It's wonderful. And Deb came up with the idea of this being a Manitoba-themed Scotties, and our decorating committee has done just a fantastic job. Just the whole theme of the Buffalo Bar, the Mint is our VIP lounge. They've done a great job. Talk about how that came together, Deb, because I think it's fantastic. Well, it, it kind of just it just kind of came to me that you know every every event like this has a theme. Why not make it Manitoba? We approached the kind people at Travel Manitoba, and they provided us with some wonderful imagery that we were able to use. And the whole place really has a good old friendly Manitoba atmosphere. Well, I said in the opening ceremonies, what could be better? You've got volunteers curling and then of course the buffalo bar to gather and uh, enjoy some libation so this is a purely manitoba event i have zero doubt it's going to be a smashing success thanks for this and uh, good luck throughout the next several days deb thank you thank you greg kim thank you and good luck the rest of the weekend thanks greg those were the co-chairs speaking to Greg. And, of course, you mentioned the East St. Paul rink playing, the homegrown rink. But the Manitoba Scotties feature all sorts of names. you got Jennifer Jones, Chelsea Carey, Caitlin Laws. The list goes on and on, Greg. So it's a, it's a great time of year for people. And the best part about it is uh, if you're looking to do something sort of outdoors-ish, it'll feel cooler 
cold oh, yes. this weekend, but you get to watch the heat of the game. Yeah, and if you come, make sure you bring a blanket <laughs> because they have metal bleachers uh-huh. on the side. Oh. I sat down on one last night. Yeah, you'll want something to sit on. Yeah. But other than that, it's spectacular. It's as intimate as it comes for a viewing experience. The bleachers are right next to the three rinks they've got set up inside the hockey boards. It's uh, just a wonderful setup. They've done a terrific job three years in the making because uh, this is the first time in three years they've had fans in the building for the Scotties. So uh, congratulations to East St. Paul. And if you get a chance to head out there, do so. All right, and before we go, I think there's one more item on the agenda, Greg. Yeah, this is the unofficial theme song of the event. It's an invitation of sorts to the Buffalo Bar. It's written by Rod Paulson. Rod actually invented the whiteout once upon a time back in the 80s for the Jets as as, uh, part of their marketing. It's produced by John Schritt, and I think we all know Jennifer Hansen. This is her voice. Discouraging word for the fans, they do what they do. Let's continue the global news series Out of Pocket, examining the impact of inflation. And one of the biggest impacts has to do with food. As Global Sean Preville explains, how big that impact is can depend on whether you live in a major city or a small community. As Canadians continue to deal with the cost of inflation, grocery shopping remains a major part of that squeeze on wallets. While inflation has cooled, food prices remain high. And though people could find alternatives in the past when their favorite product went up in price, food inflation has left fewer options. Those grocery stores in rural areas are probably providing a limited number of options to begin with. One of those options goes missing, the truck can't make it through, forget inflation. All of a sudden, then you could be talking about these food insecurity issues. Prices are rising across the country. In rural communities, for example, there are several factors that can lead to bigger bills. Economist Moshe Lander says there can be various factors that influence prices depending on where you live. Difficulty transporting food, gas prices, and less competition can cause prices to be higher. Lander says those in rural communities may also pay more at grocery stores because they're often feeding larger families. So, you know, in rural areas, you probably see larger families on average than in urban centers. So uh, rural areas are going to need more of those milks and meats and chickens because you need to feed the family. He adds an urban resident may also dine out because they have more options available. Multiple stores in larger cities can also create competition driving down prices. But in rural communities, a lack of competition often results in higher costs. You have to work much harder to actually get Uh, Give yourself access to another option. Food researcher Sylvain Charlebois says there are possible solutions, such as people in rural communities traveling to a larger city if possible. Checking stores on a different day can also help when it comes to price. Things do change dramatically in in just a few days, and sometimes prices change daily and, and hourly. As Canada faces uncertainty in the economy this year, those heading to the grocery store may need to strategize to fill their pantries without breaking the bank. Sean Prevel, Global News. If you just take a drive and you're going somewhere this weekend, or maybe your kid's got a tournament you got to get to, take a take a look to see if you get to a grocery store that's outside of Winnipeg, what the cost 
difference might be. The farther you go, the worse it might get. And that's got nothing to do, that's nothing compared to, rather, the cost of goods in northern Manitoba, particularly on First Nations and those fly-in communities. I was looking at the northern food stores, the northern flyer this morning to just try to take a look at things. And so say you wanted to make a sandwich in Shimadawa, which is is pretty much as far north as you can go in Manitoba. The ham there, like the sliced ham, shaved ham, is eleven eighty. Here it would be six fifty. So it's five bucks more just for that package of ham. And the loaf of bread, it would be three bucks here for a wonder loaf of bread, two ninety seven. It's four seventy nine there. So to to make to make that sandwich, just say you're making twelve sandwiches. You know you're adding five five ten fifteen bucks on the cost. Uh, I go further south. I looked at Pekanjikum. That's just a north. Northeast of here, 300 kilometers. Uh, the bread is also more. The burrito kit was $4 more. Those are for light ship, lightly shipped items, Greg. Like they don't cost as much to ship and they're still costing more to put them on a plane and then costing the consumer more. So if we think we're struggling, imagine what it's like. And everything I just named there is not the most nutritious thing you should be eating. So the more nutritious it is, like your meats and your veggies and your milk, it's costing more. Yeah, and it takes longer to get there. So shelf life is shorter and uh, the heavier stuff like milk obviously co- costs so much to transport. And then that's reflected in the price. And then people wonder why folks in remote communities are drinking and eating stuff that isn't necessarily good for them. Because the fresh stuff isn't very fresh and it costs a lot of money. Loren McNabb, we got a question as it pertains to... Jeff Braun's top story. Top story is that at 10.30 today, Premier Heather Stephenson will be at the food fair to announce some sort of relief, financial aid or other for Manitobans, uh, an inflation-related package, if you will. And we talked earlier this week about the idea that that might include another round of checks for Manitobans. So I'm wondering if you think you might be on that list because last time around, hundreds of thousands went out, but it was to families with incomes less than 175000 a year. And low-income seniors and a whole host of people were left out. Put up your hand. Do you think you'll be on that list this morning? Or do you even want that check? We've had a couple people write in this week, Greg, saying that they don't need it. It needs to go to other people that, they, well, they'd all, who wouldn't want $400? But they're not on the list of people who should be getting that check. Yeah, there's been uh, absolutely people who have said, yeah, I, I got it. I didn't need it. My parents got it. They didn't need it. But there are others who are saying, I didn't get it. Yes. And I really do need it. And so it sounds as though uh, at least the speculation would be at this point in time that there'd be a broader swath of the population that get this. And perhaps I'm only guessing here, but I, I'm going to guess, Brett, that perhaps that income threshold for two income families might be a little bit lower than it was in that first round of checks. Yeah, I'd be curious to know. Like, And I I'm, I sort of don't know how to feel about it. On one hand, if you want to cut a check for me, I'm happy to take it. But at the same time, I I sort of don't, I don't think I really need it. Like I could use the money, but I'd rather see it go to somebody who needs it more. Um, so I don't know how to feel about it. And we asked the question of the day at CJOB.com the other day. Uh, what do you think of this? And 13% said, gimme, gimme, gimme. 51% said don't cut checks, cut taxes. And 35% said if they send checks, send them to the right people. Hmm. Question of the day, by the way, for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness, 204-832-6243. Did you guys get uh, checks last time? Is this, that This is going to sound terrible. I, I think it went right into your account, no? Oh. And if it did, it wouldn't come to me. I think it would be had gone to my husband. 
this this is terrible, but sometimes the checks will come and he just puts them in the account and I'm not asking questions. And because it would have been right before Christmas, I wouldn't have noticed any amount because I was spending it more quickly than it was okay. coming in. Okay. My answer would be exactly, exactly the same as Lorenz. Yeah? I have no idea. <laughs> and at the opposite end, I opened the mail the other day and there was a check from the government of Canada. And I was like, what's this for? And his response was, who cares? Let's put it in. <laughs> so I... That's- do you do you uh, still go to the bank or to the credit union, Loren, and deposit the no, check, or have you embraced the the uh, electronic, the yeah. digital? It, a lot of it is, is so auto deposited, awesome. or we just take a picture of it and it that, goes that, in. That, that's the best. That's the best technology yet. Yeah, I'm still kind of old school. I'll just I'll, I'll deposit it because I walk right by the bank machine when I'm walking home from work anyway. So it takes five seconds as I'm as I'm leaving. With the bigger ones, I want to go in. I want to cash it. I want to hold the cash in my hands and then deposit it back in just so that I feel <laughs> as though I've had it just for at least five minutes because most of it's spent before it even gets into the account. And before we do the question or the keys to the game, pardon me, Adam Loren weighing in with a text on losing a pet. Well, in the last hour, we talked about the fact that there were reports out of Vancouver that one of the Canucks players last week actually might have missed a game because of the loss of a pet. And a lot of people were supportive. Some people were critical. And so we were having a conversation with the Humane Society about bereavement counseling about bereavement days humane society offers two days for its staff who lose a pet and adam says when it comes to losing a pet i truly know how it feels unfortunately we lost our third senior dog just this past sunday it never gets easier and only time can heal the loss they are true family members anyone that says they are a pet owner is not a true pet lover as you do not own a family member and adam adds rest in peace little emma we love you Continue to weigh in at 204-780-6868. We know how much your pets mean to you. And, um, I mean, hey, I, I missed a day at work once upon a time. We don't have time to get into this in full detail, but I uh, called Greg. We were doing our afternoon show, and I said, uh, we just put my, had to put my cat down. Um, I'm a mess. And he said, don't even think about coming mm-hmm. in to work. And that was that. We've been talking about dreams this morning. It was it started from something Loren heard on the shift. There, there's this uh, sleep research group. They're they're looking for dairy dreamers. They want to find cheese testers. Pay them a thousand bucks each to eat cheese and report on their dreams. So that got us thinking about our dreams. And now, Greg, that's got you thinking about the sleeping arrangement. It does. And I'm going to read uh, Tammy's uh, text. This is fresh off of Henry's text about talking about acting out Ted Lasso episodes in bed and kung fu fighting Mm -hmm. (laughs) and acting that out in his dreams, which inevitably has his wife leaving the bed or maybe him leaving it. And Tammy says, we have a queen size bed. Think that would be enough room for two. Nope. Around 1.30, 2 o'clock every night, he will starfish in the middle of the bed, <laughs> kicking me right off. I will make my way downstairs to the couch and finally have a peaceful night's rest. At least I'm not hearing the snoring. And so that got me thinking, I know a trend in some luxury uh, new home builds is the idea of building two primary bedrooms and with each with their own bathroom. How many people are not sleeping in the same bed right now because of snoring, because of dreams, because of unusual schedules? You might go to bed. I know I go to bed a lot earlier than my wife does. 
Is it just easier at times to not sleep in the same bed? So dare I ask this question of our listeners this morning. Are you sleeping in the same bed as your partner? Mm, that's a good one. That's a good one. I uh, I once brought that up in a relationship uh, just as a, just not I wasn't advocating. I just said, what do you think? And I, I wasn't even able to finish the question. No, absolutely not. No way. <laughs> to sleep separately? or Yeah. But, you know. We do in our relationship, and, and the last couple of weeks have been challenging because of my cough. I have woken up to him on the couch because at some point I'm coughing relentlessly through the night, and I think that's when he decides, all right, like, I'm out. But, but because of the shift, we've debated, you know, I, when I wake up, he's often up. And I neither of us want to go down that road, though, so we stick with stick with the pattern. But it's hard because then that means we're both just getting lousy sleeps. I remember there we um, on this radio station there was a I believe it was a psychiatrist who was explained that he and his wife had separate bedrooms and then he he it wasn't just a preference thing he explained that there is some some science behind it that uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing and he said we we each have our own room we both sleep great and if we miss each other or or feel like being affectionate we just walk down the hall like it's not they, there's no moratorium on sharing a bed but uh, I kind of I like the idea of having a separate room because. <laughs> I I was the it was the reverse order for me for me when Tammy talking about her partner starfishing mm-hmm. uh, in my last relationship she had a king size bed I still only had a, approximately one foot <laughs> of that bed on the edge because it was the rest of the bed was occupied by a starfish so I was like ah there's another bed my uh, my own bed is in the other room I should just go sleep on that well. But doesn't- being together lead to other things? Like, I know the sleep is important. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to finish the thought? I think or I did. Finishing it I for said, you? isn't the being together about it leading to other things beyond the, just the hug or the cuddle? Like, it, <laughs> well, maybe, yeah, well, maybe the other things already happened. Now I got to go down the hall and knock on your door? Can I come in? Shoot me now, a t- can I crawl in? May, may I crawl Slide in? Slide into my DMs. How are you? How See are if you we can feeling? sort it out. Is this. Are we on the same page here? And I walk in and you're like eating your burger or something? Like, I don't. <laughs> We're learning how important sleep is to our overall I health. I understand that. And but our so, mental, is, so, so are those other things. They are. But okay. So if your mental health, if you're not, I'm just, I'm not advocating for this. I'm trying to just think it out as to the benefits here because, you know, our mental health is directly, there's a direct correlation to our willingness or ability to be affectionate, to show affection. If you're grouchy and grumpy, guess what? That physical side of your relationship is struggling already. And how much of your grouchiness is embedded, pardon the pun, in the fact that you didn't get enough sleep the night before and you're tired all day at work and you can't wait to get home and just crash on the couch or wherever. Mm -hmm. And so that part of your relationship is suffering anyway. This might actually, I have no research to back this up, but I think this has a potential to increase that side of it. McNabb. Well, I'm going to pretend this person that just texted in because they have the same name as my husband. I'm going to pretend it is my husband because <laughs> this little sweetheart just said, 100% of the time my wife and I sleep in the same bed. I can't fall asleep without her next Aww. to me. Thank you, husband, even though that wasn't you because I can see the number and it's not you, but you share the same name. So we appreciate that. Someone wrote that they actually share the same bed, but separate blankets. 
Oh, that's an interesting strategy. That's not a bad strategy yeah. at all. Because you I mean, the, the, yeah, the, the blanket often gets sort of yanked to one side, and then you wake up and you're like, "Why am I frozen?" Oh, because the entire blanket's gone to the other side, or vice versa. I might you, like you don't know what you're doing in your sleep. Well, not to mention there's a different philosophy for different people in terms of the covers. I'm a sheep, sheet guy. I have to have that top sheet mm-hmm. and the blanket. Um, that's not the, the case yes. with, with Jackie. She, that is she, the fight. Get out of the sheet. She hates the top sheet. Right. She oh. thinks it's a ridiculous waste of No, the whole point of the sheet of is laundry. to keep the duvet more clean. No. Well, you also, my brother would insist that the top sheet is what actually keeps you warm. It's the weight of the blanket that uh, increases the warmth, and the, and the sheet is a critical part of the layering process I to keep you warm I thought the sheet was more night. of a laundry cleanliness thing, but that is a fight in our house. Get under the sheet. You get under the sheet. Never mind. I am under the sheet. You get under the sheet. <laughs> Never mind the tuck or the non-tuck oh, of the don't top tuck. sheet. No. Don't tuck that top sheet. Yeah, I can't I'm stand not in the, the army. <laughs> Question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace 204-832-6243. Is it acceptable for someone to miss a day of work because of the loss of a pet? So far at cjob.com, we've got 70, what is it, 70, 70% say yes, 30% say no, and uh, almost identical results so far on Twitter, uh, overwhelmingly in favor of the yes. And uh, we're talking about this because of a hockey player and a potential situation that happened over the weekend. Yeah, Ethan Bear, uh, it was reported that potentially, you know, they did report on the social media. His partner uh, said, yeah, we lost a dog of a long term. And the speculation was that he had perhaps missed that game. But also there was a new addition to that family as well, Loren. So it's not exactly 100% clear what the personal reasons for missing that game was. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, he hasn't confirmed it, but they he missed a game on Saturday. The night before, his partner had posted about the loss of their dog. She had a baby yesterday, and in that post, thanks thanked her husband for standing by her during the loss of the dog and in the delivery. So I'm going to go ahead and say that odds are it was probably a combination. The dog died. Your wife's due any minute. Right. And and you'd be feeling extremely vulnerable and wanting to react to that. And so he missed a game probably for a combination of reasons, but the dog was part of it in my estimation. And therefore it had us talking about, you know, there was all sorts of reaction to him doing that. People thought, what? Like, you know, I remember back in the 70s, your wife would have a baby and you would never have missed a game to... To, in the 70s. Right, or 80s, or maybe even just five just years ago. So 10 they, years ago, so, Andrew Ladd got a hard time for missing a, a Jets game. They, I think they were playing in Dallas, and they were in the in the midst of a, of a potential run to a playoff spot, and he got grief about missing a game. And that was just in the last 10, 11 years. Right, so, so then people were like, you're missing it for a dog? But I think more people actually waited and said, in this day and age with mental health conversations, and acknowledging what things mean to you in your life, including your pets, which are not things, they're part of your family, it makes sense to take that day. And and Brett, you had just briefly shared, but I'd like it if you would again, when you lost your cat. Yeah, this was, I guess, 2016, 2017. I can't remember what year, but it was when Greg and I were uh, on the afternoon slot. And um, that morning, my cat, well, at that point, Technically, he was no longer living with me. He had been my cat with, we had two cats and a dog in in a relationship. The relationship ended. She took the dog. I took the cats. But where I moved, I was 
not allowed to have pets. So my sister, thankfully, was able to take my cats, uh, Frankie and Zoe. And when it was, it came time to put Frankie down. It was a Monday morning, I think, and my sister called and said, "Hey, we're taking Frankie uh, this morning. Can you come?" And uh, it was before our shift started. I, I think the appointment was at like eight eight thirty or nine o'clock. So we went and put Frankie down, and he, my sister was. A mess. I was a mess. We just sat there bawling our brains out, and and the vets, they, they had this sort of side room where you can go, just go and you know calm down for a minute. And uh, I got on the phone to Greg, and I just said, "Dude, I am a, I am a mess. I, I, I can't believe I'm asking this, but can I take the day off? Because I can't." string three words together without crying. And you didn't even hesitate to say no. Well, it was easy for me because... Oh, yes, I, yes, sorry. You said, yeah, take the day. <laughs> it wasn't easy. It wasn't uh, easy or was an easy decision because I uh, love my pets and went through a similar situation about eight years previous when I was working at New Flyer. Uh, our long-term dog, uh, she was my dad's dog for a long time, but family pet, but retired, lots of dogs retired to the country. Wrigley retired to the city and came and lived with me when I was uh, on my own. And then uh, when the boys came alone along, Wrigley was still with us and was an important part of the first year and a half of their life. And we had to put her down. She was having a hard time breathing in the middle of the night. Long story short, took her on a work day and I was in the washroom and our CEO happened to be in the washroom at the same time. And he said, hi, Greg, how are you doing today? I said, well, John, actually, I'm not really too awesome, told him the story. And he looked at me and he said, what are you doing here? He says, I'm sending an email to your boss. You go home. I don't want to see you here the rest of the day. And that was almost 15 years ago. So I appreciated that immensely, that uh, humanity and that understanding of the emotional distress I was in at the time. This is why I would say, you know, I'd like to hope that we ask the question, do you think there should be a day off that work employers or employers are given for the loss of a pet? And yeah, maybe that might make sense to you with your contract or your work. But I'd like to think in this day and age, most bosses would recognize what your boss did in that moment 15 years ago, which was to say, yeah, don't go home. You don't need to be here. Now, some people might want to be at work. Maybe that's their way of coping. Sure. They might need the distraction. Like it's different for everyone in all manners of grief. But Kelly actually texted to say they lost their pet back in... October, their dog, and that she actually tried to push through and then had a breakdown two months later because she didn't let herself grieve. And so in Kelly's estimation, absolutely take a day or more off. Grief is grief. We hear so much these days about taking care of your mental health. Let's put that into action instead of just pretty words. We're asking you about your dreams. I had a dream that we once had enough time to read every single text and reply to each of them. So many good stories. So many good stories. Impossible to get through them. Uh, we got a couple, Loren, uh, uh, about sleepwalkers. Years ago, one night, my parents heard commotion in my five-year-old sister's room. When my dad went to check it out, he found my sister sleepwalking in the hallway. He followed her to the living room where she walked towards the couch, pulled her pajamas down, (laughs) lifted up the cushion, and proceeded to sit down as if it were the toilet. Needless to say, he ran over, picked her up, and whipped her to the bathroom. I'm told the couch was spared. I did that. I used to sleepwalk when I was a little kid, and we have uh, we had uh, like our our laundry hamper was in the bathroom, and I peed in the laundry hamper. Um, that's how my mom figured out the first night I went to the, it was called Blue Jeans and then became the Palomino Club. Yeah. What were you doing last night? 
Huh. Gave her some story. She goes, why'd you pee on your brother's desk? <laughs> okay. And then uh, Kathy, another sleepwalker, Loren. Kathy says, I'm a lifelong sleepwalker. I tend to do this over anxious times. Many years ago, I stood up on my bed, walked over my husband, proceeded to jump three times, trying to get a better height, I guess, in order to jump across three freight trains in France. Of course. I woke up once, I hit the hardwood floor with my face, ended up with bruises all over my body. The funny thing is, my husband watched me walk across and start jumping and didn't say a word while he watched me soar. <laughs> he just let it happen. Well, I don't I think you're supposed think to wake. you're not supposed to wake them, right? Is, isn't that what they say? Yes. Don't wake, you know, when someone's sleepwalking, don't wake them up. You're oh, going to get boy. punched in the face or something if you do. All right. But Tim is our winner, and Tim says... I was golfing with my boss, just the two of us in this dream. We golfed at Rossmere. We had just completed the par 3 17th hole, and we were walking with pull carts to the elevated 18th hole tee. So I had the honors on the 18th uh, tee, so first to tee off, and went to tee up my ball as I was leaning over, teeing my ball up. My boss said, what are you doing? Looked at him and said, "Uh, what do you mean? He replied, hit the rook. I said, what? He said again, more slowly, hit the rook. So I straightened up, walked back to my cart, went to my ball bag and pulled out a chess rook, walked back to the tee, and I was teeing up the rook. As I was teeing up the rook, the group behind us finished on 17 and started walking over towards 18. They were two surgeons dressed in full (laughs) surgery wear, green gowns and masks. And one of them said, what are you doing? I turned towards him as I was teeing up the rook and said, what? And the surgeon said, hit the knight. Okay, so I straightened up, walked back to my cart in the ball bag, put the rook back, pulled out a chest knight, walked back to the tee, teed up the knight. My boss sat quietly resting on the bench, and the surgeons continued the walk towards the bench on 18. My knight was on the tee. I had addressed the knight and was ready to go into my backswing to drive the knight down the fairway. My alarm went off. And I remembered the dream, and it has given me many laughs over the years. That is one complicated dream, Tim. And so it's so specific. Sure. Then to be able to remember all those vivid details. I did ask Tim, have you, have you ever actually since tried to hit a rook <laughs> or a knight on the golf course? And Tim says, no, I love my chess sets way too much to do that. Okay, so, so he is an experienced chess player, it sounds like. And because- he- I Googled that. If you're inexperienced and you're dreaming about chess, chess, it means you might have a big decision to make. But if you're a chess, experienced chess player and you're just dreaming about chess, it just means you like chess. Well, checkmate, Tim. <laughs> you win the tickets for the Winnipeg Jets game. Congratulations. Thanks to all for your amazing stories. Right now, we want to talk about the Winnipeg Jets. They're back home following an eight-game-in-nine-starts stretch, which included their previous games away from Canada Life Centre. That's right. Five games in a row away from Canada Life Centre. The Jets host the Sabres, whom the Jets earn one of their two victories against uh, on that five-game trek. Mitchell Clinton of Jets TV joins us now. Mitchell, good morning. Good morning. You know, hearing the the weather and the wind that's coming, I I live just outside the city in LaSalle, so I'm looking forward to my post-game drive. So hopefully it's not a lot of blowing snow. Mm. Any any insider on that? Because that's usually the big thing that i got to deal with post-game is blowing snow as I head back back to LaSalle. But a wind would always make it feel better. Here's a hot tip. That south perimeter can be rough. It can be. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't heard that one before. How helpful was that, Mitchell? 
it's very it's very true. Like I mean, LaSalle's <laughs> only like eight kilometers out, so it's not that far. But eight kilometers starts to feel like twenty when the wind's clipping along. Like it sounds like it's going to tonight. So uh, I'll be cautiously driving home tonight. But uh, like I said, any wind usually makes that drive feel pretty good. I can tell you that uh, just looking at the hourly on the weather network, they are predicting around 9 p.m., 10 p.m., the wind out of the south, 22 gusting to like 33 kilometers an hour with some scattered flurries. So it might not be brutal, but it looks like it might not be all that great. (laughs) You know what? You know what? It's funny because that just shows, uh, I guess, how Winnipeg slash Manitoban I am. I hear that. I'm like, oh, that's not bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we shut down half the cities in the National Hockey League, conditions like that. For us, that's no big deal. And, of course, all the jet season ticket holders who live outside the city, the conditions that they brave to come in and go home back to, yeah, I think uh, we've got it pretty easy from time to time. But I will be watching our text line for a traffic tip from you, Mitchell, around uh, midnight uh, tonight. All right. So, you know, we mentioned the five-game stretch of of, uh, games on the road, eight of nine away from Canada. Canada Life Center. Uh, did the Jets feel they played better than earning four of a possible 10 points in that last five game stretch? And did you see it the way the Jets see it? Yeah, I did. And like, so the, the one that they say that they didn't really like was the first one, that one being in Montreal, a 4-1 loss. But, you know, there's certain, I guess you could say, you know, analytics or information that I look at that's kind of outside the regular shots on goal and stuff like that. You know, there's certain things that the Winnipeg Jets like to do. So one of the things that they say is protect the guts of the ice. In other words, uh, they want to make sure that in their own end, they're, they're protecting and limiting the amount of scoring chances the other team has kind of in that slot area. And over the course of the road trip, they did that extremely well. Um, over the course of, of the entire road trip, yeah, the the high danger chances against were the only time they were on the wrong side of that one was the finale against Nashville. So you look at the game against Montreal, they had the edge 12-10 there, 11-9 against Toronto, 9-7 against Ottawa, and even better, 13-7 against Philly. So they were getting the better of their opponents in that area of the ice, which is a huge area of priority for them. Now, obviously, this is a results-based business, and you want to pick up victories. But I think there's a lot of underlying numbers that show the Winnipeg Jets played a lot better than some of the results that they did get. Now, that being said, you know, you want to make sure that uh, that you are taking advantage of your opportunities. Those are the kind of the, the things that I think the Jets would lament the most out of that road trip was they had so many great chances to score against Toronto and could only get one now. You do have to kind of tip your cap to their goaltender that night. Played very well, um, and then even you know in Nashville, the Jets get that early goal to make it one nothing and a number of great chances possibly to increase that lead. But yeah, there's a reason UC Saros and Connor Hellebuck are both going to the All Star game. They're spectacular goaltenders, and now both games between uh, Winnipeg and Nashville have been two one. So um, some the Jets ran into some spectacular goaltending over the course of this road trip, but certainly they want to get back on track tonight against Buffalo. So this three-game homestand that begins tonight against Buffalo before the All-Star break, it wasn't so long ago, Mitchell, that you would have said, or I would have said anyway, as, as the casual observer, that's eh, the Sabres, no big deal. But, but what makes the Sabres now this team that's actually quite tough to defend? So fast. <laughs> and they're, uh, they're incredibly skilled as well. And obviously the, the, the big name that comes to mind and, and Jets fans coming to the game tonight or or watching would probably keep an eye on his Tage Thompson. He's six foot six. He's over 200 pounds, but he moves incredibly well on the ice. Got a, a wicked one-timer. So the Jets did a really good job of limiting 
his opportunities when they were in Buffalo a little while ago and picking up the win there. But certainly there's some areas that they want to clean up. Buffalo really likes to play that speed up and down the ice, almost, I guess you could say, pond hockey style of game. And the Jets don't really want to do that. However, you know, you've got guys on the Winnipeg Jets that can certainly play that game. And that's, you know, why they were able to to come out on top of that combined with a really good performance from Connor Hellebuck that night in Buffalo. So I think they would love to kind of slow down Buffalo a little bit um, just to, you know, keep, keep things a little bit more organized all over the ice, not even just in their defensive zone, but through the neutral zone, try to limit the amount of speed that Buffalo can generate. And I think the Winnipeg Jets will be in a much better spot. And, Buffalo was one of those games over those past eight of nine away from uh, away from Canada Life Center. They weren't overly thrilled with their game, and that's a big part of it. They they kind of got into that up and down the ice pond hockey style. It's just not the way that they want to play. So look for that to be a little bit more of a point of emphasis tonight, especially given the fact like it hasn't been very long since they played Buffalo. So the the pre scout is going to be quite fresh. They're going to have that game fresh in their memory. I think it's probably going to be a point of emphasis tonight. So after the homestand. No Jets games until February 11th. Back on the ice for the South Asian Heritage game. Yes. How much does this team need a break, though, after playing the most (laughs) games in their division to this point? Yeah, exactly. And I think you kind of heard a little bit from the players after the game in Nashville. Like I talked about some of those underlying numbers a little bit earlier on that they were doing so well with on the road. But ultimately, I mean, fatigue is going to be a factor. They won't use it as an excuse, but as a reporter off the ice, I can. But it's also just a statement of fact, right? You know, you've played so many games and so many more than your fellow division members outside of the Dallas Stars that, you know, when you play a game that's as tough to play as the Winnipeg Jets like to play with so much speed, you know, it's going to catch up to you at some point. And, yes, they wanted to try to battle through it. Arguably, they had a great chance to tie the game against Nashville at the end. But when you hear guys like Pierre-Luc Dubois and Cole Perfetti kind of mention the, you know, a little bit of fatigue setting in, especially given all the travel the team has had over the last little bit, a break will be good. Now, obviously, this is going to be one of the longer breaks I've ever seen in a, in a schedule. I mean, I joined the team back in November of, um, of 2013, and there was the Olympics in 2014. But outside of that, I haven't seen a gap this, this big. Now, certainly there's a, a player break involved. There's the All-Star game, so the time will go quickly. But uh, no better way to come back from a a break like that than South Asian Heritage Night. It sounds like it's going to be a spectacular night in the building, and fans can get all the information they need on that at uh, winnipegjets.com. But ultimately, yes, I do think the team needs a little bit of a break. Certainly there will be some rust to kick off when they get back, but uh, you start to get into the final 30 games of the regular season, I think you start to see the the pace of play and everything pick up. So, cause every game just gets so, so important as you come down the stretch, a, a nice break will be exactly what the, what the group needs. I think all teams get a player break at some point in the schedule. This is really is uh fortuitous for the jets in terms of the way it lines up with the all-star break. No Mitchell. Yeah, no, exactly. And usually I think they try to do it in and around the all-star break uh, just to have a predictable spot in the season. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I feel like, the first year they brought the player break in, this is a few years ago now, um, prior to the, the pandemic or the before times, as I like to mention it, call it sometimes. Um, I think they, they tried to separate that those five-day breaks throughout the kind of the second half of the season or into that, that middle third of the year. And what they found was teams that were coming back from that were at such a disadvantage, especially if they played against teams that hadn't you know had a break or, or were 
on a break and then came back, played for a couple of weeks, and then played this team. So I think this was just kind of the way around that, trying to make it a little bit more fair for everybody uh, in the National Hockey League. Before we let you go, I just want to point out, Mitchell, that we actually uh, patented the phrase or TM'd it before time, so you actually owe us $75 for the use of that just oh, now. All right. I buy a lot of coffees and snacks, so that's perfect. Glad it's going to good people. We'll take Jets tickets instead. <laughs> this is not a problem. Mitchell Clinton, thanks for this. We appreciate your work uh, on Jets TV, pre and post, and also uh, joining us uh, every couple of weeks here to give us the lowdown on your view uh, at the at the ice level at uh, Canada Life Centre and uh, with the Jets around the league. We appreciate it, man. Happy to join you. Have a good day, everyone.